Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Retreatal Chapter 11, written by Lithy Dragon. Rin groaned as the van jostled over another rut in the road that led past the Earthside fortifications. He massaged his migraine growing behind his eyeballs. Not sure if this is a smaller van bounces more than the last one, or if it's just the roads have gotten worse. Hungover again, Rin? Bradford asked, poking him in the side. He grunted, drawing away from her. You need to scale back your late night parting. I wouldn't call it a party, he said, remembering the jittery mess he had been most of the night. Oh, for the first three hours it was, she laughed. He groaned again, this time in embarrassment. Whatever had been the uh, energy drink had made him feel absolutely incredible. It had also put him in completely out of his head. What do we learn? She asked him, giving a patronizing smile. He took a deep breath, recalling exactly what Kilowalski had told him to say when she asked him that question. Don't put Twinkies on your pizza, he added with a nod of certainty for effect. Whatever Twinkies were, and whatever pizza was. Radford blinked at him in confusion and snorted a laugh. God damn it, Kowalski. Rin shot a sly smile, chuckling along with her, until another rut bounced his head off the window and he's resting against. It wasn't a hard bump, just it jarred the headache. He groaned and patted his arm sympathetically. Once we're on the highway, you'll probably be able to nap and rest on the way. He nodded, lifting his head clear of the window as the van bounced onto the paved road and onto the gate. Two big block-looking vehicles pulled out onto the road around them. Hey, what's with the black subs? Bradford asked, tapping the seat in front of her and leaning forward to give Lieutenant Border a look. Security, he said, not looking up from his phone. You think we'll need it, he sighed. There's always a few crazy people willing to do something stupid. He looked at her over his shoulder, like traipsing an alien around a downtown San Diego. He shook his head, looking back at his phone. They're a precaution, hopefully not needed. Hi, sir, Bradford said, sitting back and her face twisted into an odd expression. Rin flicked a consulting ear at her. She caught the gesture and relaxed, patting his head. The music on the radio cut out, replaced by an urgent, pulsing chime, and then the driver, Private Simmons, turned it up. This is ABC Special Report. A stern voice cut in and Rin perked up. A statewide manhunt continues today. Another voice said, For the man responsible for the brutal murders of the Fallbrook family and the death of the county deputy. Reports that the man is actually an Alvin operator who managed to evade the military forces on the portal have now officially been confirmed. Shakira Freeman has more. The familiar sound of a helicopter flying overhead rumbled out of the radio ring perked both ears. Army spokesperson Colonel Michael Shin confirmed this morning that suspects is being pursued by an elf and an enemy combatant believed to be some sort of a special operative. When and how he came through the portal are not known at this time. Army, National Guard and the Air Force resources have been mobilized to assist the county, state and federal police forces in the search. State and county police forces have set up a temporary HQ here at Palafide Department and say that they are closing in on the enemy combatant. Reports come in, not 30 minutes ago, of a brief firefight, one with the tracking parties. But no further word has been received other than the elf is still at large and officers are still in pursuit. Rin looked at Bradford, whose pulse quickened as the other voice came back on. Authorities urge civilians to report any sightings and avoid contact. The elf is confirmed an enemy combatant and is armed and extremely dangerous. 
Citizens of the parlor area are directed to remain inside, lock and secure all doors and windows, and immediately report any unusual sightings or occurrences. We will continue to keep you updated as the mission unfolds. This has been an ABC News special report, declared the first video. As the urgent music came back and faded away, Simmons turned the volume back down. That's not where we're going, Porter said, swiping something on his phone. There's not much more to it that can do to help, and at this point you probably just get in the way. He turned to Bradford again, and she shrugged, face scrunching up in sympathy. Sometimes you gotta let other people do their jobs. I know, he sighed, deflating as a spike of energy dribbled away. His ears lay flat against his skull, and he looked out of his window. That doesn't mean I have to like it. No, it doesn't, she said, patting his shoulder. But your desire to help is appreciated. His ears slowly rolled back up in the depression and gave her an appropriate nod. As unnerving as the air excessive touching was at first, it brings a strange sort of comfort now. As they continued down the freeway, he laid back his head against the glass. The great paved road was smooth, and Private Simmons was much less aggressive than Kowalski. Rin felt the few hours of restless sleep that he had managed to get last night putting before him, and closed his eyes. He dozed off before he even realized it, and he was drifting, and he woke again, being thirty minutes later, when the van jerked to a stop. Outside was a paved road with a great building and a military aircraft lining one of the sides. In front of the van was a sleek-looking craft that didn't sport any weapons that he could see. We're flying. Unless you want to spend ten hours driving, yes, Bradford said, opening the door and stepping out of the van. Bradford smiled at him, unbuckling a seat. Come on, I've never been in a private jet before. Rin leveraged himself up and followed her out in the van and into the aircraft. It's cramped. There are more luxuries in here than most lords would ever use. He was directed to the extremely comfortable seat. He buckled his seatbelt as Bradford reached across the aisle from her seat to tap his arm. Hey, check it out. They recline all the way. He looked over at her and saw a button on the armrest while the chair slowly swung back until there was almost a bed. His ears perked up. He looked at his own and after a little experimenting found the button and set the chair to leaning back. He sighed happily and settled himself into the reclined chair, shifting his tail around so that it wouldn't fall asleep under him, and he heard Bradford saying something as his eyes droops. But it doesn't matter. The darkness claimed him. Rin snapped awake as the aircraft jerked with a great squelching sound, and he looked up a little. Around a window sat beside him, his ears perked up at alarm. They were settling onto the great paved road, but the buildings and background were very different. Did I sleep the entire way? Yeah, sleeping beauty's finally awake, Bradford said. He looked over at her with a frown. Did she just... No, another cultural reference that I'd understand. At least I'm getting better at spotting them. Welcome to San Francisco, she said. I thought ahead, we've got some flowers to put in your hair. He rolled his ears and after some further experimentation, he found a button that brought his chair back upright. He maintained an even stare with her the entire time. She laughed. Come on, Border said, stepping past them. Our ride is waiting for us and you're being picked to ride up for the plane. Rin stood up, rubbing his head as the migraine slowly made its presence known again. This makes you feel like a movie star, Bradford said, as they made their way down the stairs and the ladder, nodding at the three black SUVs waiting for them. Normally we'd have to go through an airport security. They all piled into the SUVs and minutes later they had left the airport. 
Almost immediately after getting onto another highway, a small caravan left it. Driving past several large buildings and parking lots, they pulled into another lot with many small and large vehicles putting it in and out of it. Don't know about you two, but I need a morning coffee, Borders said. Bradford made a face. Sure, sir, but uh, Starbucks? You don't like Starbucks, Sergeant? Don't like overpriced diabetes in a cup, sir? Fair enough, he said, putting a wanted notepad. Well, we have large coffee, black, Bradford said, reaching into a pocket. Border waved her off. I've got this. I make more than all of you combined, he added, and then Bradford gave a protest. She shrugged and sat back. I'm getting paid, Ren asked, his ears waggling at the old army joke, even as he tried to rub the sleep from his migraine out of his eyes. Bradford and Border chuckled, and she narrowed her eyes at him in consideration. A small black coffee for Rin with plenty of sugar and cream around the side. She turned back to Rin, and a hair of the dog that bit you. What? He frowned, his ears sweeping back while his right quirked up. It's a saying, uh, a metaphor, she hesitated, and for a moment he could swear he saw her eyes trying to sweep back. Mostly for alcoholics, he nodded, a taste of the demon that cursed you. Huh, yeah, that, she smiled, and then tilted her head. Yours is cooler. Border finished writing down on his notepad and looked at the driver. And you, Mr. Simmons, the driver said. It was a large human, deep-voiced and a barrel-chested, and wore the same black uniform with white undershirt and black bolter cloth tied to his neck that the rest of the security escort. It was very trim, almost anonymous, and coupled with the tinted glasses intimidating. Ren quirked in the air. He doesn't look like Private Simmons. Is that a common surname? What do you want, Simmons? I will have a venti, salted caramel, market creme frappuccino with almond milk, and an extra shot and five extra pumps, he said, staring deadpan ahead. Bradford slowly turned to stare at him. That has to be one of the most basic white bitch orders I have ever heard. The only thing that you're missing is a pumpkin spice. Do you want an insulin shot with that? No, ma'am, Simmons replied, still deadpan. Bradford shook her head, turning to Rin. This is why we have an obesity problem in our country. Rin shrugged as Border finished writing the order, tore off the sheet from the notepad, and handed it out the window to another, almost faceless member of his security team. He sat back and closed his eyes as they all fell into silence, drifting off again despite his migraine. He woke up once more at the very intriguing smell as four cups were passed to Border's window. Three were rather large size and were passed amongst the humans, while the fourth, much more to the reasonable size, was passed to him. With a sniff at the steaming brew, he tilted his head and perked his ear up in curiosity. Yeah, you might want these, Bradford said, handing him a small brown paper bag as the SUV pulled out of the lot and headed back towards the highway. He turned to her, quirking up his other ear. Cream and sugar, she said, laughing at her eyes traced his ears. Coffee can be a quiet taste. Nodding, he turned back to the cup and gingerly sampled the brew. Hmm, hot, but not terrible. He glanced around, holding the cup and bag, and Bradford reached into the breakfast between them, folding down the cleverly concealed armrest conveniently placed in the size of holes for the cup. It's got cup holders, she smiled, giving a wink. He gave an appreciative nod and set this cup in the holder, and rummaged in the bag for a moment. And after a little finagling, he figured out how to remove the lid and one packet of sugar and a tiny little cup of creamer, all in his own. All while Bradford sat back and watched him while she sipped in her own coffee, slightly laughing with her eyes. 
He carefully mixed the brew with a tiny little stick that seemed to be purpose-built for this and to be disposed of. He sampled it by licking it clean and nodded with satisfaction. He put the lid back on. What do you think? She asked, giving him an expectant look. I've had tea that was more bitter. It was terribly made, but I had to pretend it wasn't. He took a cautious sip. This has other flavors besides just bitter. He took another sip and nodded. It's pleasant enough. Now... They settled into a comfortable silence for a moment as the caravan breezed around and passed the other traffic on the road. By the time they reached another great bridge, Rin's headache had started to recede, and he was feeling much better and more awake. Bradford took another sip of a coffee and then turned to him. What was Jacarena like? What do you mean? he asked, cocking his head to the side and flicking in the air in an unexpected question. Like, what kind was it? she asked with her hands up. Was it a big one? A little one? Was it square? Oh, how many holes did it have? It was, um... He set his coffee down and held up a hand, about this long as my arm and a common design, round but narrow, with twelve finger holes. Did you play it a lot? Yes, he nodded. More than my soleil, he shrugged. It's easier to carry, and I kept my soleil with my full kit, which I didn't always have on hand, he sighed. I didn't take it with me to the battle for fear it would be broken. What color was it? She took another sip of the coffee. He shook his head. It was the much the dull red with the clay it was made out of. It wasn't a fine instrument. I couldn't afford one, he frowned. I only even had my soleil because it had been my family for three generations. His ears wilted and thought of all that he'd lost in the battle, despite all that he'd been gained. Rafa placed a hand on his shoulder, giving him a comforting squeeze. Who taught you to play? My father taught me the soleil, he said. He is poking up at the happy memories. It was his, and it was his father's before him. He wooed my mother with it. Oh, romantic. Bradford winked at him with an sip of coffee. Did he teach you the ocarina too? No, he shook his head. I learned that myself. My friend at university had bought one, but couldn't carry a tune, so he gave it to me. And did you woo any girls with it? She asked, giving him a devilish grin. His ears swept back and he looked down with a little embarrassed smile. A couple. You dog! She laughed, tapping his arm. Good for you. She took another sip of her coffee, leaning onto the armrest between them. So was that the ocarina you had? No, he snorted. Yagi saw me bring in a couple girls back to our dorm with it. He paused, pushing at the awkward pause, and he took it back, determined to do the same. He shrugged. Since he took it back, I had to go buy one of my own. He took another sip of his coffee and gave her a mischievous smile and a sidelong glance. And, of course, I had to use it to steal the girl that he was trying to woo with his ocarina. He still couldn't carry a tune, after all. Bradford snorted a giggle. You didn't. He nodded his ears, perking up with a laughter. I did. Still didn't think he's forgiven me for it, despite them getting married the following year. He sipped his coffee. Last I heard, they had two daughters. Bradford chuckled. Good for them. He smiled. His headache completely vanished and they spent the rest of the trip talking about more instruments that he lost, sharing anecdotes of both their experiences in university and comparing the behaviors of students of each species. They found much in common. The University of Yagane is taller, Bradford laughed. Did they have you studying the proper mage tower? Rin gave her a sidelong glance as he ended his left ear before turning back to gaze at the sprawling campus. It was taller to the laboratory building than they were approaching, and it had a game preserve. Wouldn't mind that, Border said as they walked through the doors along with six members of the security detail. 
Lieutenant Porter, I presume, a man said, straightening up from the counter that he'd been leaning on and stepping forward. His unruly brown hair was much longer than any of the Marines, except for Bradford's, and he wore a white jacket over his shirt with words painted on it, and jeans. I am Alistair, Alistair Fredericks, he held out a hand. I'm Dr. Yin's assistant. A pleasure to meet you, Porter said, shaking his hand. This is Sergeant Bradford and Second Artificer Ayat, he added, nodding to each of them in turn. Alistair shook Bradford's hand and then extended his to run. He flicked his ears forward and nodded and shook the man's hand in a human way. It's nice to meet you, he yipped quietly. Releasing Rin's hand, Alistair stood back suddenly as a short breath. Oh my god, I just shook hands with an alien. I mean, an alien. Oh my god. He looked at Boulder. What did you say? He said, it's nice to meet you, Bradford said. She glanced at Rin, suppressing a smile. He flicked an ear to ear, but otherwise kept his face stony. Oh, you can understand him. How can you understand him? You, do you speak? Wait, right, we, we got a brief from this. Uh, he took a deep breath and grinned. Magic. Yes, he's an alien, and he's here to help you figure out magic. Border rolled his eyes, and he pulled his phone out to check it. I'm sure there's a lot of work to do, and we don't have all day. Yes, uh, I'm sorry. Alistair gave a sheepish smile and then pulled himself back into his more professional demeanor. Dr. Yin is already in the lab, waiting for us. If you'll follow me... He turned to lead them through the door of the main lobby. This was almost immediately backed by a security guard sitting behind the table in front of another and locked door. Ideas, please. The guard looked like them as if they were the most boring and convenient thing of his entire day. Alistair held up his badge and he clipped the jacket and waved aside the guard. Bradford and Boulder both pulled out their own ID cards and presented them. Then they handed the badges to the big V on the side. And his ID? The guard asked, waving at Run. Bradford glanced at him and then back at the guard. Um, doesn't have any? Right. He should be an access list, Porter said. Yes, he's the entirety of our alien visitor access list. The guard gave Porter a dead-eye stare. How do I know it's him? Porter sighed. We're escorting him. Very well, the guard said, as if he could only barely be bothered to go along with the idea. He handed Ren a different badge with a big E on it. Make sure he doesn't go anywhere unescorted. I'll do that, Porter sighed again. They stepped onto the side and waited for the four other escort details showed their IDs and got visitor badges. The other two had stayed in the lobby. With everyone's badges on, the guard pressed a button next to him and the door unlocked with a buzzing sound. Bradford grabbed the door and swung it open, and they all filed through. Alistair led them down the hallway towards the lab. You said that you're Dr. Yin's assistant, Porter asked. Uh, yes, I've actually been working for her for a while now, and she's recently helped me uncomplete my masters. He glanced at Porter and Bradford with a smile, his chest puffing out. I have a master's in particle physics and a bachelor's of science in electrical engineering, and just started working on a doctorate, he chuckled. I'm starting my doctoral thesis on electrical magnetic confinement of a fusion plasma containment, which is something that I've wanted to work on since, um, well, since being in high school. He shrugged and waved a hand. Well, that's gone out the window now that I have the opportunity to be one of the first people to write a doctoral thesis on the science behind magic. He shook his head, laughing. Still can't believe I'm saying that. Still can't believe you don't know what magic is, Ren muttered at Bradford. All right, so here we are, Alistair said, pushing open the doors to the lab. 
Inside was a startling array of equipment that Rin couldn't even begin to quantify. Interspersed with crates of mana crystals and captured elven equipment, several more humans with white coats were scattered about the lab. Dr. Yen, Alistair called out, they're here. Oh, good. A short woman turned around, tucking her long black hair behind her ears as she walked over to meet them. Rin quirked an ear. She barely comes up to my chin, and her eyes are squinty. She tilted his head, comparing her to Bradford. Their skin comes in so many different shades. Dr. Yen, this is Lieutenant Border, Sergeant Bradford, and Second Artificer Rin. She smiled at Rin, dipped his head in greeting. Dr. Yen has been given the lead of this project. More like being tossed by herding cats, she smiled, shaking her head, as the others came over to join them and agape at Rin. Let me introduce you to the rest of the team. She started going down the line, sharing their names. Rin shook a lot of hands, but very quickly lost track of who was who, or what their names even were. I hope you remembered everyone's names, he muttered at Bradford. Nope, she muttered back and gave him a wink, but I can read name tags. Now that introductions are out of the way, shall we get started, Border said. We're only here for today. Of course. Yin turned to lead them across the lab. As you can see, we've already started doing some preliminary testing, and I know that you have been sent to other labs for additional testing, but we're really at a loss of where to even begin. We've been doing impedance testing, spectrography, and getting samples ready to test with a laser inferometer, Alistair said, and other samples are going to try bombarding with different types of radiant just to see what happens. But so far, we've gotten a whole lot, and we don't really know what we have means. Where do you want me to start? Ren asked, with Bradford translating. Rien smiled. With everything... Rin spent the next several hours explaining how mana crystals were condensed mana drawn from the ether, demonstrating different effects and identifying and experimenting the function of different pieces of equipment. He spent nearly an hour giving his best explanation for the two leading theories of what either one was while activating different artifacts while they were being monitored by different pieces of equipment, almost all of which was elven and added a layer of difficulty to the mystery of his own efforts as well as awe. He snorted, shaking his head as he marveled at the latest device they had him manipulating. Is something wrong? Yen asked. No, he said, flicking his ears dismissively as she set back the device down. It's just that, um... He glanced down about gesturing to the treasure trove of captured elven equipment. Our researchers would have killed to have the opportunity to capture even a tenth of this. He shook his head, looking about the room, and we were stand in a room full of it. What did he say? Yen asked, looking at Bradford when she didn't translate immediately. They've been fighting the elves for a long time and never captured anything close to this. She waved at the room. Yen nodded. I see. So, Alistair said, we've been going testing elven equipment all day, he said, stressing the word with almost a giggle. But I see you've brought something of your own. He nodded to the staff Rin had kept slung over his shoulder. Is that something we can test? Yes, he said, unslinging the stave. That's why I brought it. Alistair's face lit up as Bradford translated. Is that your wizard staff? Rin just stared at him, flicking his ears away. It's called a stave, Bradford said, and he's an artificer, not a wizard. Right, uh, sorry, it's just, uh, he's a big D&D &D nerd. Yin said, leaning over to Bradford when Rin. Bradford nodded and explained everything. Rin quirked an ear and she winked back at him. He snorted, humans. The next hour was spent putting his stave through as many of the same tests, while also demonstrating shields and active enchantments, artifices. 
and I can also shoot various shard bursts and other offensive spells with it, he said, closing down his latest shield demonstration. Alistair's eyes turned into dinner plates, and he slowly turned to Yin, bleeding expression on his face. Yin looked at him, and then at another scientist standing beside her. This one was a tall man with bronze skin and silver hair. He nodded. I think we have a lab room that'll work. Fifteen minutes later, and they were crowded into one end of the room that felt to him like it was more of a long hallway. The other end was a series of impromptu targets, a series of instruments that had been set up to monitor the whole thing. Someone handed him a pair of clear plastic goggles. He stared at them. Safety first, Yin said, as everyone else donned theirs on. He shrugged and spent a moment finding the placements that kept the side pieces hooked over his ears without finding any of obstructing his vision. Satisfied, he's double-checked that everything was ready. Let her rip, said Yin. Nodding, he turned to the targets and grinned. In rapid succession, he shot the shard bolt, fireburst, ice bolt, and shock bolt into the targets, slapping all four of them in less than two seconds. He followed it up with a shard burst that put fragments into all of them, and topped it off with an overcharged fireburst that engulfed all of the targets in flame. Everyone but Bradford stared in shock and smoke roiled up from the targets, and the piercing alarm went off. That was awesome! Alistair shouted, shoving his fists into the air as the nozzle clicked above him and started spraying water across the room. Rin quickly threw up a shield to deflect the water while the other scientists cursed and ran to shut off whatever artifice had been triggered. Bradford beamed at him and gave him a pat on the back. I'm proud of you. He dipped an ear at her and smiled. So, um, Alistair said once they had turned the water off and the alarm off. That made a number of calls to the university security and the local fire brigade. Is there anything else that you can't do? He nodded to Rin Starve. Not much, Rin said, as Bradford was translating. It is specialized for war, but it is designed to channel most spells that I can come up with. So, what does it actually do? The silver-haired scientist asked. It both acts as a mana booster, providing an efficient and controlled supply of mana from the mana crystal. He tapped a partially depleted crystal set into the staff receivers, and as a tool to simplify spell use. What do you mean, simplify spell use? Yen asked. Does it make it easier to manipulate magic? In a way, Ren paused, considering how best to explain it, looking at Bradford and giving her an apologetic dip of the ear. I know she's getting tired of paying translator. When casting a spell, an artificer can wholly create an artifice in his mind and channel that through the staff so that its staff provides the power. The only difference between casting a spell with a staff is that it can tie into the energy of a mana crystal, more safely and efficiently than the artificer were to attempt to draw the power straight from the mana crystal themselves. He paused, using the time it took Bradford to translate to order his thoughts. He received a series of nods when he finished. Doing that, however, requires a lot of concentration, especially for complex spells. It still requires considerable focus even with the simple spells, and often it takes time to cast. The artificer has to collect the spell in his head and so on. He waited again for the translation and the nods. A starve, he held up his. He can also have his store spells structure inside the artifice, allowing the artificer to quickly select and employ which type of spell an artifice he desires to use rather than recreating the entire artifice in his mind. The artificer merely recreates the trigger, and the staff will do the rest of the work. Skilled artificers can also use the staff almost to as an extension of themselves, shaping and manipulating the artifice through the staff, without having to hold the entire picture of the artifice in their minds. It's like a memory bank, Alistair said when Bradford had completed the translation, or, or a computer. 
It can store memories of spells, in a sense, yes. Rin marries to one ear in curiosity. I haven't seen anything to suggest that they can store memories, but it wouldn't be surprising. He doesn't mean literal memory storage, Bradford said, smiling like she could read his mind. It's more of the same sense, but I can call my pocket notebook a pocket brain. Oh, Rin nodded, ears flicking back. That makes so much more sense. And are there bigger ones? Haddest asked. Yes, but they're not staves, Rin said as he pointed his tail at the crater larger mana crystals. The greater energy draw requires more rigid, specialized construction, otherwise they can burn out. Proper artillery can shoot different types of spell shot inscribed on spell frames. Our heaviest artillery pieces must be dedicated to the specific type of spell shot. Fascinating, Rin muttered. And can you use the artillery? No. He shook his head. It still requires an artificer to trigger the spell. Though even the weakest artificer can do it, he paused and Bradford took the opportunity to slip the translation in before he continued. The artillery pieces of our naval ships do have a complicated trigger mechanism that allow anyone to fire them since they are in nature limited to a number of artificers aboard. But the devices are difficult and expensive to make. I don't actually know how they work. We'll have to see if we can get our hands on one of them, Yen said. I'm sure that we can make some kind of arrangement, Border said, wandering over to rejoin the group. Excellent, she smiled. May I? Addister asked, gesturing at the stave. You may, Ren nodded, handing it over. The young man took it with care, holding it up to examine closely. He traced a fine, interweaving patterns of gold and platinum with his finger. He raised an eyebrow when Rin confirmed that it was platinum. He ran his hand down to the two-pronged gold platinum alloy head of the stove. And these are? He asked, pointing to the two gems set at the base of the stove. What gems are these? Tourmaline. His fingers traced around the gemstones at the base of each prong. And these? Verlinite. And these, he asked, touching the two gems set into the inner curve between the two prongs. Topaz. Hmm, Alistair frowned then. His expression scrunched up as if he was missing something. They're all piezoelectric, Bradford said. Holy crap, you're right. Alistair held up the staff in front of him, as if seeing it all in a new light. He gave Bradford a suspicious glance and then turned back to the staff, frowning at it again. I have no idea how that is significant. The conversation kicked off a whole new battery of tests that lasted another hour and a half, including another trip to the range, this time in a less intense barrage. Rin was just finishing another solo of sharp blasts when Border topped him on the shoulder. It's time to go. Sergeant Bradford has a couple stops that she wants to make while we're in the area, and we have a flight to catch. He nodded, and he carefully began disconnecting the latest set of wires that had been taped onto his staff. A few minutes later, Anesta was seeing them back to the lobby. Well, it's certainly been fun and fascinating, but I think you've left us with more questions than answers. I hope I helped at least, Run said, flicking his ears back for a moment. Oh, absolutely, Alistair said. It'll be a long time before we really start answering our questions, but I think you've got us asking the right questions, and you've given us a direct start in it. Knowing your eyes from your elbow certainly helps, Bradford smiled. I wouldn't say they were that far along yet, Alistair smiled, but we'll get there. He held out his hand. It was a pleasure meeting you. They took turns shaking hands, and when Rin's turn came around, he grasped Aristus' forearm and shook it in the Ganlin way. It was an experience. Alistair looked down in surprise and the unexpected grip, and then back at Rin. Alien cultures, he grinned. Rin swept his ears back and shook his head and let go. Bradford looked as if she wanted to smash a palm into her face. See you around, Alistair waved as they left. 
surrounded by the security detachments. Once they were back in the SUVs, Rin sat back with a sigh. That was fun, though I think I may have as many questions as they do. He frowned as another thought occurred to him. Lieutenant Border, why did I come here today? Border looked at him over his shoulder and Bradford translated, To help us figure out magic. Oh yes, I get that, Rin said, but why me? I'm just a field artificer. There are plenty of learned scholars who would have been perfect for this, who would jump at the taunts for this, and I can't believe my kingdom wouldn't want to send someone to help you and learn as much as the process. The lieutenant put his phone away and turned around in his seat to more squarely look at Rin. Because you're available now, the research agreements are we're working out where people are very promising, but they're bogged down by politics. He glanced out the window as they made their way back through town. And to be completely honest, he said, turning back to Rin, you're not expected to have any ulterior motives. I see, Rin said as Border sat back down in the chair and pulled out his phone, ending the conversation. He settled into a silence once more as the caravan worked its way through the city taking the sights and the new human city had to offer. They had just crossed over the long bridge and Rin was really starting to wonder why Bradford hadn't said a word. When he realized the route that they were driving on was different from the way that they'd come to Berkeley. Where are we going? You'll see, Bradford said smiling. He gave her a suspicious glance. Sergeant Bradford made a compelling argument that it was a good idea to show you a significant landmarks while we were passing by. Rin glanced at Border, then back at Bradford with a roll of his ears. He sighed and settled back into his seat to wait. He didn't have to wait long, another ten minutes, and they had cleared the large bridge. In the distance ahead, he caught a glimpse of something, and he knew what was their goal. He leaned forward to get a better look, but that was cut off by a series of tunnels. By the time they cleared the tunnels and the trees, it was right there. He leaned forward again. The Golden Gate Bridge. Bradford said, built over 80 years ago. At the time, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world, still one of the tallest. Rin gasped at the latest feat of engineering. It suspends itself. He twisted around it to try to keep it in sight as the SUVs pulled off into the parking lot just before the set of booths and the bridge itself. We're not stopping, just looping in the parking lot, Borders said. You've seen it, and we've got a plane to catch, so we don't have time to linger. He turned to look over his shoulder and Bradford, especially if you want to make that other stop. She nodded. His eyes knocked onto the bridge as they circled the lot and followed another road to jump around the other side of the highway. So many of their roads are only one way, but it makes sense given the speeds that they travel. Thirty minutes later and the entire caravan pulled to a halt outside another street. I'll be right back, Bradford said, shoving her cover onto her head and jumping out through the door. She quick march down the street and into a shop. He watched her go and her ear quirked up in confusion and five minutes later watched her march back up the street with a bag in her left hand and a satisfied grin on her face. Everything goes smoothly when you pay in advance online, she said, hopping back into the SUV. She had no sooner shut the door when the caravan was off again. Run quirked a curious ear at her and she just smiled. It's a surprise for the plane. He narrowed his eyes, but accepted it, and spent the next thirty minutes all but twitching in his seat, wondering what Bradford was going to jump on him this time. Finally, reaching the airport, their caravan drove onto the runway, right up to the plane that was waiting for them. Just to be clear, Bradford said, this isn't normal. None of this is normal to me. She laughed, stepping out of the SUV and stretching. Fair enough. Walking around the front of the SUV, she tapped the metal cover on the driving surface. 
Don't forget your insolence, Simmons, she shouted, pointing a finger gun at him. Rin saw their former driver raise a fist and extend the middle finger. Bradford grinned, and they all filed into the plane. Unlike the previous trip, Bradford took our seat next to his. She was practically wiggling in excitement, the mystery bag gripped between her hands. Watch your window, she said. You were out cold when last takeoff. He gave a suspicious eye and an ear, but complied. Did I want to see this? He didn't have long to wait, and a short time after the door was pulled shut and secured, a deep hum rumbled behind them, smoothing to a higher-pitched whine. A moment later, the plane began moving, lining itself up at the end of the long stretch of pavement. They waited for a moment, and then Rin saw another plane gliding down to land on the strip parallel to theirs. Then the plane lurched, and a whine spooled from the idling rumble to a high whine, and they began to accelerate. He watched out the window as he stared out the paved strip, and then the slight bounce, and then they were in the air. The plane climbed higher, rolling and turning in a slow arc. His ears perked up when he heard the faint rumble and clunk beneath him. They glanced at Bradford, retracting the landing gear. He quirked an ear at her. The wheels on the bottom. He flicked his ears back. Well, I guess that's pretty obvious in hindsight. The plane banked again and continued to climb. He looked out the window again, amazed at how incredibly high they really were. His ears flicked from one side to another. If I hadn't already flown in battle, I probably would be terrified. He considered the moment more. I'm being completely honest, I'm probably still a little bit terrified. All right, Bradford said, sitting back in a chair and dropping the bag on his lap. Since you lost yours. Confused, he cocked his ear at her, continued looking down at the bag. Cautiously, he opened the bag and pulled out a box. He examined it for a moment, giving Bradford a suspicious glance. She gave him an innocent smile in return. Slowly, expectantly to suddenly explode on him, he opened the box. Inside, he found a padded case. He frowned. Is this like a Yibba Yabba Yobo doll? Just boxes inside boxes. Tilting his head, he opened the case. He gasped, his ears perking up straight, and then falling limply to the sides as his mouth sagged open. Inside was a beautifully crafted arcarena. Carefully, he pulled it out of the case. It was not identical to his old one, though it was similar in size and shape. Unlike his old one, which had no greys, and one gleamed with a beautiful deep blue colour. He blinked and looked at Bradford, and blinked again, determined not to show tears. I can't. Bradford shook her head. Making these things is a lot easier for us than it is for you. Even the really nice ones aren't that expensive, and this is just a good one. He worked the jaw several times, licking the roof of his mouth, while Bradford gave him a happy but unyielding stare. He sighed, his ears sweeping back against his skull in humility, and he bowed his head to her. Thank you, I, I thank you. Play it. His ears shot out to the sides as he opened his mouth, then perked up at the idea. His right ear twitched, and he started to smile. He set the bag and box and case on the floor between them legs, and held the ocarina, his ocarina. He took a moment to find his grip. It was the shape that gave the ocarina its sound, and it was this close to his old one, but not exact. He twiddled his fingers over the holes and verified the places while briefly limbering up. He put the ocarina to his lips and briefly ran it up down the scale as he hit the pure on every note. Bradford smiled and nodded encouragingly. Rin closed his eyes and took a deep breath, collecting himself. What should I play? One song rose to his mind. An old melody from the early years of the war. Many verses have been added since. 
positioning his fingers, he started to play. It started slow and with just a hint of sorrow and recurring rhythmic beat that reflected the lines of marching troops. The tune transitioned to a bright and gallant, then stern and determined, and down to a deep sorrow. It was a song of resistance, determination, and mourning for the bright souls lost to war. It spoke of anguish for all those sacrificed for so little gain, and so many setbacks. It dove deep into the throes of the lament, and then the gallant refrain from keep rising. The last note trilled out and the lowered the ocarina and took a deep breath, and had to bring a hand to wipe his eyes. He felt a hand on his shoulder and looked over to see Bradford smiling at him, her own eyes glistening. That was beautiful. He simply nodded, unable to speak. She rubbed his shoulder and squeezed again, giving him a warm smile. Part of him wished that she would do more, but that would not be appropriate. Thank you, he said again, finally finding his voice. Any time, she said, giving his shoulder a final pat before withdrawing her hand. Rin took a deep breath and turned to his window. The ocarina clutched to his chest. The sun was setting to the west, casting long shadows across the earth below. They were heading south now, back towards the portal, back towards war. He watched until the light of the sun had faded and continued to watch as new lights of the civilization below. The song played through his head again, the tune of the gallant refrain reprising. End of chapter Retreat Hell, Chapter 11.5, written by Lithy Dragon The sun was starting to crest over the mountains to the east. The songbirds were starting their morning calls. Tyriel's lungs burned. He cursed the beasts baying behind him. They had found him again. His breath came at a stabbing burst as he dodged around trees over fallen logs and branches. His steps had slow, his feet leaden. He would need to replenish his mana reserves soon from what few mana crystals I have left. He heard the shouting not far behind. The humans were closing. How can they just keep going? Another beast bayed directly behind him. He whirled. The infernal creatures were almost right on top of him. He lowered his staff and fired into the animal's sagging face, while simultaneously reaching into the pouch to drain one of a handful of mana crystals he had left. The beast's abbreviated yelp was drowned out by the winning zap of his staff, and it tumbled to the ground at Tyriel's feet. Mana flowed into him as the crystal was consumed, replenishing his reserves. He drew a large portion of it into his living body, replenishing his physical energy and chasing away the exhaustion. For a time... A crack of thunder rang through the trees and the human projectile snapped over his head. He sent a volley of shard bursts at the human direction while ducking behind a tree next to him. Two more humans fired at him, a pair of shots each. Both flew wide, though one impacted another tree nearby. He sent a volley of shard bursts after them before sprinting to another tree further up the ridge. More rounds snapped past him from the first human as he ran, but they were focused on the first trees that had covered behind. Ducking behind his new cover, he cursed the trees of his land for their obstinate silence. Another barrage from the humans zipped and pinged around him. Peeking out, he spotted two of the humans through the cluster of underbrush. Not a great shot, but a little fire will cause them problems. He swung his staff around and it spat out a rapid salvo for fire bursts, peppering the humans with the brush that they hid behind. He heard them shout out in surprise and in pain as their dry shrubbery burst into flames. The second beast howled as more rounds from the first human peppery tree. Tyriel snarled in hatred and sent a spray of sharp bursts after the wretched thing. 
A yelp followed a high-pitched yowling told him that he'd hit it, but not silenced it. Three more rounds kicked up the dirt and splintered around him, and Tyrell flinched back under the cover. He glanced ahead further up the mountain. The top of the next ridge is just here. If I can get over it, I can have a downhill sprint across the next hollow. Then that will buy me some time. He frowned as he heard more shouting in the distance and the faint thumping pulse of one of the air machines. I can't keep this up much longer. He leaned around, sending another sob of shard bursts at the human, and took off, dashing up the hill as fast as his legs and mana reserves could push him. A single shot chased after him over the ridge, and missed. But the ridge behind him, Tyrrell sprinted into the next hollow, running downhill, gravity with his friend, aiding his escape from the humans until they reached the other side. And it wasn't. His chest heaved and his lungs were on fire as he pushed himself up the hill. He drove ever upwards, striving to cross the mountain into the wilderness that he was certain lay beyond. Reaching the top of the hollow, he heard more shouts of the humans cresting the ridge behind him. More of the cursed beasts came with them, though their barks and deep-chested growls were indifferent from the baying and saggy-faced creatures that they had been crowding him's every step. His reserves already nearly depleted again. He speared a glance over his shoulder, and he had been able to gain a lead on them once again, but it was smaller every time. He counted his mana crystals, just two remaining, one smaller one at that, and the hope of escape had left vanished. Capture or death was inevitable, but I can still accomplish my mission. Consuming one of the remaining crystals, he glanced up at the trees above him. There, a light pulse from his star flashed into the tree. Songbirds dropped, tumbling from the ground, stunned. He knelt behind the log that had fallen next to it and gently picked it up. Satisfied that it was still intact, he pulled a small control button from another pouch and pressed the spikes into the back of his head. It twitched as it pierced his skull and the magic activated. Next, he drew a memory crystal. He had already prepared it with what he had learned at the house during the time of his early tests. He now added the last of what he had seen and learned during his pursuit. The memory transfer took but a moment. They would be a raw and unfaltered, but it was still all he had time for. And this way, his superiors would get every detail, even the ones that he'd missed himself. The transfer complete, he secured the memory crystal to the control button and imparted his commands. They were simple and crude. Fly. In a direction through the portal, another direction continued flying. More complex instructions were possible, even direct control, but not without a larger, more sophisticated control device, and a greater knowledge of the creature's mind. This existing command would drive the creature to continue flying until it died of exhaustion, but it wouldn't have survived the spiking anyway. Commands imparted, he set the still-stunned creature beside the log and resumed his own flight. Police Sergeant Goldberg huffed his way up the mountainside, hot in the heels of his partner, Lazarus. A German shepherd was off his leash now, and after having practically hauled Goldberg out of the last damned hollow, but he hadn't yet bolted for this attack. Ambassador is quick, he thought, struggling to keep up with the child-murdering cop killer in sight, but he tires quick too. He wished he could just draw his sidearm and shoot the pricker, but orders were to kill only if absolutely necessary. They want him alive, and I hope they torture the intel out of the son of a witch. Lazarus skidded to a halt and looked up, surprised by a bird as it exploded up from behind a log. But he was distracted only for a moment, and with a half-yip, half-growl, and an offending bird was disappeared into the sky. It leapt over the hurdle and chased continue. Having along the easier slope of the main ridge, Tyrrell heard footfalls and a growl behind him. 
He spun his staff in his left hand, ready to blast another cursed beast. The monster was closer than he thought, however, and he had barely spun around when the beast slammed into him like a fur-covered missile. Its jaws latched onto his left arm, and he was tackled to the ground, and he bellowed out in pain as he felt his bones break. His staff was thrown uselessly aside. Gritting his teeth, he grabbed his sword with his free hand, but before he could draw the gem blade, another beast leapt atop him, grabbing his arm and ripping the hand away from the hilt. Cursing, he tried to kick at them, and a third monster latched onto his ankle. Jerking their heads, the teeth piercing into the gaps in the armor, tearing flesh and grinding against bone, stretching and pinned, he shouted in pain. His fight was over. But there was one last spell, if he could just concentrate... The humans arrived, shouting at the barbaric language, but he would not let them take him alive. He drew the spell in his mind. Taser! 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 The beasts leapt away. Their mistake! He grinned, readying for the last of his reserves. Two needles stabbed his neck, and his world exploded into an electric fire. He twitched and spasmed, then the spell thrown from his mind. Then darkness soon took him. End of chapter and that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.